0: You're listening to a special From the Archives edition of The Close-Up, from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. In addition to our weekly series, which brings you in-depth conversations with today's leading filmmakers, each month we share a selection from our archives. Hail Caesar, the latest film from the Coen Brothers, opens in theaters today. To celebrate, we're looking back at a memorable evening from the opening of the Eleanor Bunin Monroe Film Center in 2011 when the filmmaking team joined director Noah Baumbach on stage for a career-spanning discussion. The central question of the event, which was called Opening Shots, was where and how to start a film. And the three directors surveyed the beginnings of some of the Coen's most beloved work, from Blood Simple to No Country for Old Men, as a jumping off point for a discussion of their approach to filmmaking. So let's go now to their conversation.
1: So uh, today um, we're going to look at uh, the openings, uh, the beginnings of uh, I think five or so of of Joel and Ethan's movies, and and three of mine, and um, uh, and talk about how you open a movie and why you decide to start a movie the way you 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 do. And um, this was actually uh, Joel and Ethan's idea, and I th- think it's a really interesting one and a great one to. Uh, I'm just sort of curious why you guys. Uh, came up with this idea, or how you did
2: Um Well, we, um, we were, one of the things Noah suggested was, you know, picking some clips from the movies and talking about the clips, and we didn't want to hunt through the movies and find <laughs> clips, um, so we decided we would just, the easiest thing, also just from the point of view of the sort of technical <laughs> aspect of it, was to show the very beginnings of the movies. And um, and that's really, honestly, the reason. Do you know about
3: Live at Leeds? The history of it? The uh, Who no, record? No, the Who record. Uh, they had a van, the Who, it had a van following, you know, production, the recording van following them around for four months to record a tour because they were going to put out a live album. And uh, when it got time to pick all the cuts for the album, they all looked at each other and said, we're not going to listen to all this shit. So they they pick the Leeds concert and. Um,
1: so, well, I just keep in mind um, it's, th- there are logos and previews on the DVDs of all these movies, and so lots of effort has gone to cut those out <laughs> when we when we when we show you the clips. Um, why don't we start with a clip uh, should we look at the um, beginning uh, of uh, blood simple or what do you think?
2: Um, yeah okay this is uh, should we look at the first two what was the beginning of blood simple and 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 no
3: country yeah in no
2: country let's look at, so those, look two. at those two those um, <laughs> two well uh, one of the things you realize after making movies for 25 years is the horrifying sort of uh, Realization of um, how much you repeat yourself. Um, um, these we are thought, both like, <laughs> n-
3: not just the once, not the first time, but then again, whatever, 20 years later, that it would be a really good idea to start a movie by having a, a character that we don't know anything about it and haven't seen talk tediously at length about things having nothing to do with the story. <laughs> Although Cormac's writing is better than ours, um, you know what's funny. Seeing this with you, <laughs> what's funny is I don't know if it's misguided or not. But what's funny is how uh, diametrically opposed it is to what you do. I don't know if you want to go out of order or not, but you could look at Margot at the wedding for like the total diametric opposite in terms of you know starting a movie with a whoosh and not explaining anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, maybe we look at that in a second. I was also. The, the this is going to sound maybe like I'm being funny but I'm not is that I, also the a major difference is that you start with the title no country for old men before the the tedious monologue over over the <laughs> shot sho, over the and in blood simple you wait and you hold it and reveal it on the rush yes but i i i do i but i i think but I, 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 for me, I was there's always a kind of an emotional idea of when the title should come.
2: Oh, definitely. No, I was going to say that's an interesting, right, totally different, interesting thing, which is how you design the actual graphic of the title into the beginning of a movie, and whether or not it's just, you know, like Woody Allen does, is just, you know, boom, it's there on a black screen, and then the movie starts, or if it's somehow. You know, there's a scene that precedes it. Or um, no, that's true. Well, there um,
1: becomes an anticipation of the title too, and and the, the and also you run the cre- the the actors' names over the car, So there's there's also, uh, which I guess was more a style back then than it has become later. Right,
3: right. Actually, we've done that a few times, just actors as opposed to all the the credits there traditionally in the head credits, just because. <clears throat> Sometimes you want a shorter uh, head credit sequence than longer, and they've kind of proliferated over the years, the, the credits that go at the head of the movie. Right, in the main, you have, to, in use, the you have to use
1: way more people. The one on Greenberg, which uh, we also have, I, I did deliberately run all the credits in the beginning of the movie to, in, some, in a kind of old fashioned way. But the, another thing I was thinking about Blood Simple, I mean, I feel like you guys it's almost like you came to movies fully formed. Like there's no, everything is right about that. There's the, the the sound is amazing. The, the, the cutting's amazing. And this was your first movie and you'd raised the money totally independently, right? From dentists and,
2: (laughs) yeah. Dentists and scrap metal yard people and no, mostly entrepreneurs, small business people. Yeah, and can you can you talk
1: sort both of you about where where you were right before you made this movie, where you were coming from, what what when you you had this script and you knew you wanted to make the movie, but sort of, I because I think there is a feeling I, I I feel almost more so than I don't know more so than most filmmakers. I I always feel like a first movie feels like a first movie in some way, and I feel Blood Simple could almost be. You could have made it at any point.
2: Well, it's funny. I mean, when I watch it, it feels very much like a first movie. Um, I'm, you know, to me, um, just from a well, from a lot of different points of view. Most, some of them technical, just because when you're first starting out, you you don't really know what you're doing that way, and and uh, and other, you know, also for other reasons. Um, but. Uh, where we were right before we made it was um well i was you know we were writing together we were writing for other people and i was working as an assistant editor mostly on low budget splatter movies like horror movies um here um and the the blood Simple does sort of owe a lot to that it's it 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 came out of it to a certain extent because we were watching a lot of them and working on a lot of them and thinking about them. And they were sort of the the movies that were being made independently on that model, you know, as for-profit ventures, you know, going out and trying to, you know, raise money from people with an equity stake in the movie who would be doing it because they were expecting to make money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, that's sort of, that's sort of where that was at.
3: It's nice of you to say it, it, it looks good for, or accomplished for, um, the first movie but I'm kind of with Joel and it's, it's hard to look at um I I and I get the first movie thing off of it strongly they're like you you kind of get the um excitement about the ideas and they're just none of them are 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 done yeah, terribly realize, well yeah. I, you know you, you get the actors names coming out of that light buys and okay I, but it's a little crappy looking and the sound is meant to be kind of ominous and yeah it's a but it's not quite, it's, it's well,
2: all... The other thing about Blood Simple is we, we barely were, almost never watched these things once they're finished. Um, but we had to watch it about 10 years ago or 15 years ago when Fran was given some, something or other somewhere. And I was absolutely appalled at how it was edited. <laughs> and so we, we actually we went cut back it. and... and well, yeah, we cut it. Um, but we went back in and we cut out about seven or eight minutes of the movie... Um I just because I thought, well, in the intervening ten or fifteen years we'd learn something about editing. Um uh so we shortened it radically.
3: Interestingly, or maybe not interestingly, but actually I'm just remembering we didn't uh we didn't script that introduction to the Emmett Walsh character's no, voiceover, no. right? We no. cut the movie and then, and
2: then re-
3: felt and then like the we wanted to add. Shot. Yeah. Yeah, it was shot. Conceived and shot after the fact, the fact of you know having shot the rest of the movie. But,
2: but you know another thing that I, I noticed, like looking at these two, was that they both had this idea. One of the ideas was to this idea of controlling the disclosure of the principal characters mm-hmm. through an extended sequence. So you didn't see that we then sort of really did repeat, but in a different way. No Country that we you don't see Javier's face until. Um, until you know that one overhead shot where he's strangling the deputy, and this was the same thing where we were, we were going well. Let's uh, deliberately keep these characters, and you know, let's shoot it all from behind. Let's keep them sort of rim lit, and not actually see them until they stop, and the and the light changes. So that was sort of a a a, a way of sort of bringing you into the story or making you want to. I don't know engendering something in the audience that, as a beginning that we were sort of thinking about in both places And how did blood simple start in the script? What was the beginning
3: with that driving stuff that the, the two characters talking the, the rear driving But shot. not the M. Emmett Walsh, not the M. Emmett Walsh uh, monologue.
1: No, and didn't, it was no country the same was that how you imagined it from the beginning
3: no, that was how we. That was actually scripted. That was how we imagined it from the beginning. That's. It was all kind of a, funnily different exercise leading to the same kind of thing. A, a different exercise because, it, of course, it was based on a novel. It wasn't something we came up with, and the novel is half monologue by the Tommy Lee Jones character, by the the sheriff's character. So the kind of, beginning of thinking about how to, write the script, uh, was was, you know, kind of grappling with the, uh, how much of that monologue are we going to put into the movie? Uh, the answer being very little, but, uh, uh, you know, starting, starting the movie with it.
1: Uh, the, the, do you talk maybe a little bit about also about voiceover? I mean, just the something that you've used a lot. It also, and there's always that decision when you're adapting a book also, are we going to cheat by using voiceover? Or are we going to actually try and put this into dialogue and um i mean I, in blood simple obviously it's a it's a it's a motif of a kind of noirish motif but just sort of talk about you've used voiceover a lot use i mean raising our zone has voiceover too in the beginning
3: we've used it a lot actually In the last one we did true grit also adopted adapted from a novel which is also told entirely in first person uh as opposed to no country for old men which was uh half and half first person and third person uh true grit also starts with uh, monologue uh, the 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 um, narrating the you know the main characters uh, uh, monologue introducing the movie in both instances um we voice over it maybe I'm just thinking maybe it's not cheating because you you suggested that it is but maybe we have them go on about things that aren't related to the main story because if they're not actually doing narrative work then it's not
1: cheating. <laughs> Right, that's true. You're making it harder for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh,
3: Although we did cheat in True Grit, as she does, yes, sort of do a yes. lot of stage setting.
2: Yeah. No, it's all stage setting. Yeah. And can you talk about
1: sound? Pl- is such a big part of your movies? The sort of sound of, in the beginning of these movies. The the in No Country, it's sort of the placid, uh, just the wind and the. I mean it's ominous but it's also depending on how you want to look at it, it's either ominous or it's peaceful. Um and and the the sort of rush of the car and blood simple and I mean how much of that stuff is do you guys plan do you know when you're shooting and or in the script stage even? I mean I, I would guess
2: you know. Um, You know, I think it really, it it differs from movie to movie quite a bit, um, how much of the actual sort of sound design is built into the sort of planning stages or the script. Um, uh, It was very, um, you know, I don't think in No Country and in Blood Simple it was particularly prominent in the script. When when we did Barton Fink, it was very much sort of on our mind, you know, what, what the but a lot of that was sort of story stuff, you know, because it was a lot about what the character hears and what's the character hears that is is real and isn't real and listening through walls and um uh and that sort of thing. So I, I think most of the time when it isn't story related, it's not uh it's not so much in the script and then you just kind of proceed by um do you, do you write a lot of sound stuff sound design elements into the scripts that you write um I don't
1: not really I, I i feel like sound is something i I had to learn as I made that's why I'm impressed with blood simple even if you feel like you would have done a lot differently but i I felt like also the way sound is the sort of sound designers and, uh, when I started making movies i it was almost like they were picked for me and so i would go to the stage and suddenly you're mixing the movie and you kind of liked how it sounded in the crappy version on you know if you were cutting on film or on the computer and then suddenly it's being expanded and i always felt like i was kind of like figuring it out at the moment do i like that and there's also they tell you you need to loop a lot of stuff where you replace the dialogue and 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 uh and then I learned as I made movies that actually I liked the crappy sound better, and or or what stuff that to me had emotion, uh, because it was recorded on the day. And so I try not to loop anything anymore. Um, and then also know who I'm working with. I mean, you guys have worked with Skip, uh, Livesey, right? For. Uh,
3: uh, actually, literally every movie, uh, starting with our first one, uh, we, we've worked with the same sound designer. Yeah, Skip Love, say. Yeah.
1: And Can you talk about I mean how you work with him? Because you, you really involve him from the beginning, right?
2: Yeah. In fact, on, on the first movie, we had enough money to hire Skip for about two weeks, and he worked for about six months. So he literally, we we kid with him that he he really almost owned the movie by the time we were done. He he worked a really long time on it, and most of it just sort of, uh, and actually, you know, probably to a certain extent, or to a large extent, I would say, we sort of learned about sound design from Skip on that movie, I I, I have to say. Um, That's um, because he was, you know, it wasn't just sort of a guy coming in to sort of do a job, you know, on a low-budget movie, quickly and sort of pro forma. Um, so um, yeah, it probably probably started with with him. Um, that m- the music in Blood Simple was also somebody that we've worked with on every movie, which is Carter Burwell. And uh, um, although there really isn't any music in No Country, so I mean, it's just, he did a little he did an end credit cue essentially. Um, Also, not to sound like an old timer,
3: but I think we learned a lot from Skip by virtue of it being at that point still all, and actually for our first few movies, uh, analog and mag. And we actually, you know, we actually cut sound and we saw reels being assembled and mixing was, uh, you know, it was all a, a, a different thing than it is now and easier to see what was going on in a way.
1: Right. Well, I feel like it, yeah. And now, though, you can really mix a movie almost before you go to the stage, whereas before you, you, you really had to wait to kind of get it all assembled, and now you really can mix it and then just f- almost just formalize it on the stage, which I find I, I prefer because you can... There's less pressure, because I'm always like, have just like five, you know, whatever it is, there's like five days on the stage and you're terrified you're going you know, right.
3: to... Right. As with everything digital, it's more efficient, and that's kind of hard to argue with. Right. It's all faster. Should
1: we look at Margo? Oh, yeah, we'll look at Margo. the beginning of Margo.
3: Yeah, no, it really is, uh, as I said, it's funny how diametrically opposed it is to the, the two of ours that we just saw. It's kind of great, that uh, getting uh, plopped down in the middle and, and not explaining anything.
2: Well, the other thing is, you know, it's using the... You're in the train, so everything's crushed in, mm-hmm. which is great right up until the point where you... Where you just yeah stop the clip when you go outside, but that 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 sort of extended sequence where you're just you have to be everything has to be um, super close, or and it feels like like you're crushed right in next to the characters.
1: Yeah, I mean the idea, I, the idea was to I had done it. It was it was to go further with something I guess I did with Squid and the Whale also, which starts right in the middle of a tennis game and and uh, was to 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 do exactly that is put you right in the middle of something and have to figure it out as you go and um, and figure out where they're going and why they're going and then in some ways the whole movie you're figuring it out that way and um, it was also a movie unlike uh, again diametrically opposed to no country or uh, where there's no ex- uh, no no establishing shots so everything is crushed and. Um, uh, Another thing I'd say is one thing you learn, which I did not know on my first movie, and when I put it on DVD, I, I corrected this, is that you don't have to use the music that accompanies the logo that the uh, <laughs> studio gives you. Uh, um, uh, and I noticed on both of our cases, we did not use the clicking of the Paramount Vantage logo. Um, <laughs> um,
3: yeah, it is weird. It's one of the weird things where you right things that you thought were sort of mandated by God or you can actually control
1: yeah yeah you just yeah the 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 um i, I my my first movie uh, kicking and screaming was done with uh this video company called Trimark, which had the, the crassest sort of trimark was actually called Trimark because it was sounded like Tristar, but the guy who ran the company's name was mark
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and the logo was this like electric jaguar in a triangle, and it had a growl. And I was always hated that I used it, but then I took it out. Um, should we look at uh, uh, two more? Uh, what, what what should we show next of your guys?
2: Um, I think we had the Big Lebowski next. Is that right? That was a, a a that was a case where we were specifically thinking about the beginning of the Third Man, where you have a narrator that you don't know who the hell he is actually never makes an appearance in the movie. Um, the end, I guess you see him. Yeah. in our movie, we sort of, we, you know, we did bring the narrator in just kind of as a, um, a floater. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but the
3: third man is interesting cause it is a kind of character voice. You think you're going to meet him, but, uh, he's, you, you, never you don't. Right.
2: So that was, right, another sort of attempt to do a voiceover along those, like that, along those lines. And it's kind
3: of, it must be the neplus ultra of something, because we actually have, it must be a first in, in Hollywood, the narrator who loses his train of thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah. if we've
3: done, have we done voiceover since then, or was it, oh yeah, yes, true, yeah, great. Of
2: course. Yeah. Um and Oh and the man wasn't yeah, there. Even actually. Sam Elliott would, when he was on the set he would we were we had a, a, a couple of weeks of rehearsal and Sam was there and he kept saying to us, I don't know why I'm here. I'm happy to be here, don't get me wrong. But he was you know, have no idea what I'm doing in this movie.
1: Uh, do you wanna talk about um uh you, that's it. Yes, we wanna see okay, we can show it. Okay. And then we'll, I was gonna say, you talk about Los Angeles for this movie. Then something strange about the picture, but um,
2: yeah, two LA movies.
1: Um, both of the same concept of making. You think it's in reverse though, because yours is, seems like you're out in the desert somewhere, and then you go up to this show that it's actually a urban setting and. This is the urban fog, and then just Go right next to, to the it, the trail. Yeah, yeah. 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 I hadn't thought about that. Uh-huh. I ripped you off in reverse. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. uh, well, everything's kind of reverse again. You kind of put us into the middle of it without explaining anything. Um,
2: and and you and then and you also then you you framed a shot that was that was sort of graphically planned to carry titles.
1: Right, I and and in this case, I actually had a different beginning in the script, which was, she was at a singing class, and uh, and I shot it, but I, I'd done, I, done, we'd done a lot of the stuff in sort of prep. We shot a lot of uh, pe- people doing errands and walking dogs, which is throughout the movie, Ben's yeah. character, and uh, uh, so. When I we had that shot, I I realized I I liked it for the reason that it sort of told L.A. in a very quick way, and so I, um, I changed the opening of the movie when in, when we cut it. But I did have the whole thing designed yeah, for, and I actually put more credits. I put people who usually don't have front credits in the front credits, so I could have <laughs> more more driving and play more of the Steve Miller song. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I did deliver, I was sort of trying to do like a seventies credit sequence of, of, um, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: and I, well, I and like the way the music bangs in and then bangs, bangs with the car, yeah. it bangs out with, the yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I kind of cribbed the midnight cowboy lettering. It's slightly different, but the, the font is sort of similar to that. You would talk about yeah. Los Angeles for Big Lebowski. Well, this would- Well, well
3: again, do- it's funny how diametrically opposed they are because our LA is very filtered. It's, you know, we're thinking about, obviously, you know, Raymond Chandler is that kind of story, and your LA is very real, <laughs> something we would never do. Although, again, <laughs> the one we're about to do, you should be
2: doing. Um, <laughs> well, it's also, you know, you you if you're, if you shoot a movie in LA, you have to do something with it because you, you have, you know, it's, because everything's shot in L.A. So right. you, you 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 have to find some way of sort of off the bat sort of, you know, making your own point of your L.A.-ness. Right. Um, but uh,
1: And also because we go there, and we've all lived there at different times, but we go there to work or make things. So you're also trying to make a city out of a place that you really do use functionally.
3: Right right
2: um right you try right you have to sort of that bend it into whatever the specific needs of the story are in terms of the setup it's um yeah but it also you know i mean the other the other thing that strikes me about just the two strategies of how you bang into the story and how you and, and then some of the sort of more formal um sort of shenanigans that we get up to um um it is uh uh, you know, you're always in one degree or another in starting, you're looking for some kind of tension between having your bearings and not having your bearings, um, in terms of what's going to follow and what that sort of recipe is or what the balance is, is, is part of what you sort of one way or the other, you find yourself thinking about, even if you're not thinking about it exactly in those terms. So, you know, even in 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 Margot and in this, we sort of plunge right into the story. But you're not. Where are? What is the st- Where are you in it? You know. And with some of the stuff that we've done, it's you're specifically saying, "Look over here." Well, we're doing something else is happening over here, or you know, some. Uh, right. Well, it's it, a different kind of indirection.
1: In, in a way, it makes the when the people jump him in his house that it's almost more surprising because the movie's been so set up and introduced him and shown him told you who he is. And then suddenly something's out of, out of your control.
2: Right. Yeah. So yes, it's right. It's meant to be a sort of shocker. It's meant or, and also sort of to sort of, it's a sort of second beginning in a way. Um, But um
1: there's also something. I mean, in the, the voiceover. I mean, the the choice of, the. I mean, I had my feeling when I first saw No Country. I remember was. That anything. That I had the feeling that anything could happen at any point, but I that I was totally in good hands which is sometimes you see a movie where you feel like they could just take advantage of you and you, it's a horrible feeling because you don't want you don't want to oh. uh, uh you feel like they could kill anyone at any point but i felt such tension from the very opening of no country um and but it's sort of the comedy version of that in lebowski <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes well we did know that um we were staging that scene that we sort of um was at the end of the clip that um um, you know, if we did that right, then people would be afraid of Javier for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I mean, it was very how do you make people uptight about this guy um, uh that was definitely yeah yeah
1: there's any right. you want to take some questions uh on the back. the balance between being different <laughs> yeah and uh uh and and then people knowing you're trying to be different.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah. there is no. <laughs> there is something to that. I mean, there is, I mean, a be, the best example of that actually is something that we haven't shown yet, which is the beginning of Burn After Reading. Because, you know, we would think <laughs> it, it, we thought you know we are never going to make a movie that starts with a little you know clacking teletype kind of letters coming up that say CIA headquarters, Langley, Virginia. Um, and then we thought, well, why not? You know? It's, um, so there is, yes, there's... Yeah,
3: because we would never do it became a reason for doing it. But your movies are more yeah. difficult that way. I mean, in terms of, well, not difficult, demanding for the audience The in terms of their, uh, there's no, they're not observing any convention. You don't know where, again, you don't know where you are. And that's what's kind of, uh, the thing of Greta in the car is kind of the ultimate and ultimate of that. It's a long hold where she's not doing anything yeah. and you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and again, it is it is another kind of weird interaction or controlling of the disclosure. You're going, uh, who is she? And, and why am I looking at this? And who is she? And then who is she? And the other, uh, who the characters are becomes, is the story, is the kind of exercise.
2: The other interesting thing about that beginning is that aside from the shot in the car, everything else is very long lensy and observational, so even the shot of her in the store is past a bunch of cars, and you see just her back you know it's it's only the shot in the car that you feel like it's um, it, that 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 doesn't have that strange um telephoto quality to it
1: which is was partly by necessity because the way i wanted to i just stole all that stuff i mean she was really at the farmer's market with real people and really at a we we we, uh brought clothes to that cleaners and had her go pick it up and uh (laughs) and uh so that guy is really talking to her so i i was trying to do uh again sort of inspired by a certain kind of 70s aesthetic of midnight cowboy and those a lot of that long lens stuff yeah. of getting people really in the environment and, and, and I, you can do that in LA. You can, I mean, Greta people didn't recognize her, but like we did it with Ben Stiller also, where we put him in, uh, not really interacting with, with clerks, but, but we put him on the street for real and had him go in and out of places. And, um, so that was sort of partly why that stuff is more is long lensy. Cause we were in some stealth van, uh, looked like a, Terrorist van was like a black curtain that we would shoot, but we there's this thing with Ben later in the movie where he's walking through uh, by a uh, Jewish temple with um, a number of Orthodox Jews, and he and that was and there are takes where they all notice him and pulled him inside and (laughs) gave him gave him wine, Um,
2: make him say the shema.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, but it
3: uh, is all. Right, it might have been by necessity, but kind of by choice, by necessity. Because as yeah. you say, the the font obviously is by choice, and it's all, the, the fact that it feels like Joe Buck walking down the street on a really long lens is kind of what you're after. It's
1: yeah, not well, I, yeah, I like for the outside stuff, I like that, because I think it, on some level it tells you that it's stolen in a way without telling you. Um, I mean, I think with um, that sort of, I mean, just in reference that, question about starting a movie, throwing you into a movie and not telling you what's going on i mean i i did i was doing an interview for greenberg and s- somebody pointed out that she says are you going to let me in to the car and that that's really about what the movie's about emotionally letting someone in And i had no idea that that was set up that way uh and um i mean i must have but i did i didn't and um with Margot, the idea of like him sitting next to a woman he thinks is his mother, but is not his mother, was sort of the idea to somehow set that, I, that notion. So sort of more working on, I guess, rather than plot or story, it's some kind of sense, of, uh, some feeling of what's in store for you.
2: Right, and you're right. You're proceeding just by instinct in terms of what, what you know the story is going to be about. Right. And what feels right. Yeah.
1: Um, but then, of course, you have to keep dropping story points quickly as you go, because otherwise people are going to lose people. Um.
0: You're listening to The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Want to experience the Film Society of Lincoln Center's rich slate of year-round programming in person? Then become a member today. Since the 1960s, the Film Society of Lincoln Center has introduced audiences to countless filmmakers from around the globe. Our extensive programming includes 5,000 screenings each year with new releases, retrospectives, special events, premieres, and annual celebrations like the prestigious New York Film Festival, New Directors' New Films, Rendezvous with French Cinema, the New York Jewish Film Festival, and so much more. Supporters in their 20s and 30s can join New Wave, a membership program that provides year-round access to premieres, parties, and exclusive events. For more information about becoming a member of the Film Society, visit www.filmlink.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.
1: It would be interesting to see those uh, clips of your movies without the narration. Is it just to draw the audience in, or is it just a gimmick? Or a... It
2: is a gimmick in a way, yeah. Um, uh, it's... Uh, um, yeah it's it's a gimmick to a certain extent it's a crutch to a certain extent it's true when you're doing a literary adaptation there's I don't you know there's this huge temptation to sort of try and draw in verbatim something that is you, you, you take in a sort of really deep way from the book um, um, I mean it's all those things it's also uh, you know it's a formal thing that uh, that that it can also be very resonant, you know, and you can fall in love with it maybe a little bit too much. You know, one of the leading practitioners of it, of course, is Terry Mollick, you know, who who does, you know, almost the last movie is pretty much no dialogue, all voiceover, you know, uh, in one way or the other. He's kind of distilled it into something um, and he has his own, it's got a very sort of idiosyncratic feel, his voiceovers do. I mean, you always know the language and and the way he uses them and all of that so it's not I mean there are different ways of using it it can be very sort of straightforward and then it can be and then it can be something else it can just have a different flavor um, um, like I say
3: yeah in our case in a, in a couple of cases or at least a few it it also somehow it's a hallmark of uh, uh, you know, hard-boiled fiction. It's it's. Uh, I mentioned Raymond Chandler in connection with the Big Lebowski, but also um, Blood Simple is kind of a noir thing, and it's a it's really a big part of the convention of those the, those movies. But also the novels they were based on were usually usually told in first person, and and then the the tellers. You know, the guy who's narrating his voice is such a big part of the convention. We also did a movie called The Man Who Wasn't There with um, that, that started with a, a, a voiceover. Actually, that had voiceover in a couple of places throughout. Uh, but there was also kind of a, a film noir, so it's, it's partly by virtue of the, of the uh, genre, too.
1: Should we, do you want to, should we look at, uh, yeah. yeah, let's uh, look, at uh, we'll after, look at Burn After, burn after, after Reading. We'll look at Burn
2: After Reading. This is a rare example of our not using a voiceover.
3: It's totally Sidney Lumet. Chivo was like a pig in shit. He really enjoyed that.
1: But the opening is has a, is almost like a Tony Scott kind of...
3: Yeah, thing. Tony Scott, yes. We talked about Tony Scott a lot when we were doing the movie. Yes,
1: we did, actually. I mean, in a way, all all the movies have... They're, they're referential... I mean, the openings are referential to some other genre or, or feeling, at least, of another... Um, you 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 have a sense of like you oh okay, this is a noir or this is but then immediately you get a sense that this is your version of it.
3: Do you we're not trying for that, believe me. We're trying for Tony Scott.
1: Well that's what I'm saying. You you think it's a Tony Scott. I'm talking about this one. You I was talking about Blood Simple, but the the like do you think it's a Tony Scott movie, but quickly you
2: Yeah. Well yeah, no that 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 that's true. I mean we as I said before, we did think well, we'll never do a movie that starts that way. We thought, well, why not? And then I, we tried to do one. I mean, beyond that, the desire is to do it, do the, you know, do really do it, take it on and do it. Um, and and then the, the um, but then it becomes, just because it's more interesting to think about, it becomes more interesting if you sort of say, well, then what if the information that they find is, And that all the whole movie about it, it just is just rubbish, you know, so it's, it's, um, so then yes, it does become more of a,
3: right, um, more
2: of a sort of, to a certain extent, it's like you're saying, okay, we're we're trying to take it on, we're trying to do it. Um, but then it is a sort of whatever you want to call it, a sub, sort of subversion of maybe what you you, you expect or what. Well, it's you Tony used to Scott, say.
3: except the people are knuckleheads. Right. But it is—it's yeah. so funny you say that because we did on the set constantly with Chivo. We would say, you know, mm-hmm. setting up a scene, what would Tony do? <laughs> really, um, I must say also with regard to the beginning, we were so excited about you know Carter's score. is really great, uh, and, you know. And we talked with Carter about what would Tony do. We were so excited about the Kodo drums, the, the huge Japanese drums. You should their show in town, I think they play at City Center is fantastic. These Japanese guys and the little loin claws and their bodies are rolled up and they hit these huge fucking drums. It's a really great show. But we record it was so disappointing. We recorded in in London in Abbey Road and the day came to do the Kodo drums and these two pasty English guys show up in <laughs> cargo pants. <laughs> It sounded really good. I mean, it sounds great. It's one of those movie magic things. Were.
1: Um, let me take some more questions. Uh, you know, you guys have your ensemble of actors. Of course, there's lots of other people through them, but you seem to like to use certain people over and over again. There is that thing when you make movies of wanting a certain... You want the people you know and are comfortable with, but then I think... Um, sometimes the people aren't available or some, or, or you feel like you want to try something different and that those, uh, so trying to find that balance of not getting too comfortable. Uh, I mean, you achieve, this is the only movie Chivo did with you, right? So you had,
2: Yeah, I think the relationship with the DP is especially sort of that way. And you've worked with Harris a lot. Yeah. So
1: I mean, I used a lot of the same crew on the last three movies. Um, uh, Harris Saviti's shot Margot and Greenberg and, and the same production designer and two of them a lot of times it's if someone's not available I mean now I think you sort of get to a point where you know you have your people that you want to use in terms of actors I mean I, I kind of I, I like working with the same people I guess now that you say it though that they, they they all do, they all are sort of different um, but um, I'm going to work with Ben again um uh yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of think of myself as I work with the same actors, but I guess I don't.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's always a combination, obviously, because you can't, you know. Um, um, and it's, I mean, in our case, I don't know if this is this is the case with you, but in our case, we often write with specific, not always, but um, with specific actors in mind, and, and, and then we tend to, you know, obviously you tend to then... Um, write for people that you know, and you don't necessarily need to have, have worked with them before, or know them personally. As um, sometimes it's just by reputation or because of their work, you're familiar with their work. We do that too, but um, but I'm wondering if that's something like if you're are you working with Ben again, is it something that you wrote with? The, ben the last I?
1: thing I wrote, I actually th- I knew Ben would be in, so then I thought of Ben. But I actually don't generally think of actors when I'm writing. I mean, I do throughout. Think who could play this and have ideas, but I don't really, um, I don't really write for them. Maybe partly it's protective because I feel if I don't get them, I um, then what do you do? Uh, uh, But you you guys—I mean, you've worked with you've worked with a ton of different actors too, though. I mean, but you've obviously, Fran's done a lot of them, and and you've worked with Clooney in the last few. But I mean, but you've also had a lot of different people
2: yeah and and, and you know and, and and adaptations that we've done have been generally speaking even if we have ended up using the same actors um, generally speaking written because the characters are presented to you mm-hmm. in an adaptation written without sort of regard to who's necessarily going to play them um, from our point of view um, but in um, stories that we're sort of coming up with ourselves. N- n- it's frequently the case that we write for specific people. Although I have to say the thing that we're doing now is not um, for uh, we're not thinking about anybody n- specifically actually for any of the parts, which is kind of unusual for us
1: a serious man, you'd really cast too, didn't you? I mean, you yes. Auditioned a lot of-
2: um, yes, a serious man. We knew we wanted to uh, cast that essentially with all unknown actor people act, cast it with people that people wouldn't recognize um, I'm trying to think of any of the parts in that um,
3: yeah I don't think knew. any of no. them I don't, I don't think we knew when we finished the script I don't think when we put down the script I don't think yeah. we knew who would oh, play okay. any of those parts
2: stepping away from your own films for a minute what's your favorite opening sequences in other people's films?
3: Everybody's favorite is uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, right?
2: Yeah, well, that's that's a great one. Yeah, that's
0: everybody's.
2: (laughs) It's a 20-minute, what is it, a 20, 30-minute title sequence? It's really a great piece of filmmaking. Yeah.
1: The the opening, well, uh, another, an L.A. movie, I think we both looked at, uh, I think you guys looked at for Lebowski and I looked at for um, Greenberg. Is uh, the long goodbye has that great opening with Ellie Gould and the cat? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Getting going out to get the cat food and trying to trick the cat into eating the the yeah. other cat food before he goes out. And
3: yeah, curry brand cat food.
1: Right, right. And he had a clicker the whole time. To, this is the way to get the cat to do stuff. Uh-huh. That's a good one.
3: You know, there's one. Uh, there's one Did really you look obscure at that movie? one. Uh, Long goodbye. Yeah,
2: I don't think we looked at it right before we made it, but we were. It was very much in our minds when we were making the movie. Um, Sorry, Ethan, go. Yeah. On.
3: There's an obscure one. It was a uh, Stacy Keach in the '70s. It was called Doc about Doc Holliday. Um, all we've seen is the opening, which is really good. So I. I don't know why we haven't seen the rest of the movie. But.
1: That's a whole other subset of categories. Is movies you've only seen the beginning of. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Oh. oh, Life
3: and Times of Judge, Roy Bean, also with Stacey Keach. Um, Bad Bob.
1: Another subset, just a Stacy Keach movie. St- yeah. <laughs>
3: Basically, you start with Stacey Keach, and you can't, can't. go wrong.
1: Uh, do we have a serious man up there? Is that did you? Uh, I
2: think yeah,
1: so maybe want to see a serious man and Squid and the Whale. Um, you
3: chose to start yours in English.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we take some questions? <laughs>
3: The Yiddish is English-inflected Yiddish, right? Oh man, we talked to so many Yiddishists, and they it, it was vicious. They, uh, they all said each other's translation was, was shit. Um, we finally let the actors arbitrate. They're all, uh, two of them are from the Yiddish theater here in New York, and and the third is Fiveish Finkel, and they're all, uh, I, I, I could not judge. <laughs>
1: Do you, do you guys, when you're writing, generally, do you write from start to finish or do you sometimes start with scenes in the middle or uh, and just thinking about beginnings? I mean, do you generally, when you wrote A Serious Man, did you write we'll start with?
2: Yes. Generally, we start at the beginning and we, in fact, it's it, it's a little hard to jump ahead or to uh, not know at the beginning. it For us. Not know what the beginning is, and then um, start somewhere in the uh, in the middle. I mean, that isn't to say that you don't know. That isn't to say that you don't necessarily know what some of the scenes later on are, even in a fairly detailed way, or or how the movie ends, or you know all the rest of it. But in terms of um, actually getting it down on paper, it's more common that uh, it proceeds in a linear fashion that way. Um,
1: Do you guys talk it through before you start writing?
2: <laughs> yeah, we talk to a certain extent, and it depends how great, it, again, it differs from movie to movie to what extent it's hashed out ahead of time, I would say. Um, but um, this, I'm trying to think of how this came about. Um, that we you know that we started in such a, a sort of radically indirect way i mean when it really it is really striking again because you get this is just so this is all, you know this is about as as far as you can go in terms of misdirection and at the beginning of uh, the squid and the whale it's amazing how much of the essence is all contained in those two little scenes that we saw um, in terms of the characters it's just remarkable actually um, um, but yeah we we generally uh we g- you know proceed you know we right at the beginning, and this one i i can't remember we where where it, where it came in relationship to the um the shot from inside the head going towards the earpiece um, and coming out in the Hebrew school uh,
3: well, we knew we started with the <laughs> Uh, with the idea of the, sort of this setting that it was going to be uh, this community midwest a community of midwestern jews uh so in that sense the beginning the idea to begin at, be, beginning with that sort of yiddish folktale prologue came after we knew what what the body of the movie would be i mean we didn't literally start with the yiddish folktale and and say what would follow this
1: um <laughs> what I think is what's kind of great is how you um after this serious misdirect of the folk tale, then you, it's thrilling how you get go through the ear and, and end up in the earpiece with the Jefferson airplane. I mean, it's like you really like. It it, it feels great.
3: Yeah, right. It's a right. Uh-huh. good.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big. Uh, it's you, uh, part
2: of the fun, right? That we knew it would be fun to go make that transition. That that was. Um, uh, right. We knew it would be fun to make that tra- transition that you go, I'm here and now I've gone through some into some dark hole and come out here. Um, yeah. And that's right. I mean, people
3: ask us why we started the movie with a folktale, but that, that's part of the reason It I, that feels good. It feels sure.
1: great, and it really has that feeling. Once you come out the ear, just you, I, I feel like this. I love this movie. That's like the. It just has such a great. it's because it, it has everything.
2: Well, we also, yes, I mean, in terms of the, the 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 transition itself, it was also interesting that we, um, um, you know that Jefferson Airplane song actually bangs in, with you know, Grace Slick singing, um, and. So we asked Carter to do something that would be this kind of just big ominous chord, but then transition into essentially a sort of uh, a guitar intro for the song that doesn't actually exist on the song, Mm -hmm. um, to sort of make that, distend that, again, just in terms of the fun of going from one place to the other. Right.
1: And again, the sound is amazing. That Just the, the door opening and closing and the footsteps. Yeah, and
3: that's, a, it's a, that's actually one of many cases where that, that transition is one of many cases where Skip, Levside, the sound designer, and Carter, both of whom have done all of our movies, uh, frequently work together in places where they kind of have to... It has to. The sound environment has to work with the music, and one hand has to know what the other is doing. Uh, the Jefferson Airplane intro kind of comes out of a weird sound environment that Skip made.
1: Um, okay, yeah, I think uh, that's all the time we have for you today. I am um, uh, really uh, great to talk to you guys in front of big yeah, so. yeah, yeah, thank
2: you for being here.